<sighs> You're listening to the published plot, your number one source for churchy stuff and religious purposes. Hey everybody, just want to remind you to support Project YM and your favorite YouTube channel, The Popish Plot. And save yourself 10% off your favorite Catholic Balm Co. products by shopping at Catholic Balm Co. That is catholicbalm.co and using the code PLOT2021 at checkout to get that 10% off. Now on with the show. Welcome to The Popish Plot. I'm Mike. I'm Jessica. And I'm Nate. This is St. Irenaeus, the Doctor of Unity. Wait, 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 hold on. Doctor of Unity. I don't remember him having that title before. Well, because it's brand new. Brand new. St. Irenaeus, although long regarded as a church father, was only named a doctor of the church this past January, the 21st of January, by His Holiness, Papa Francesco. Oh, excellent. So, I suppose, if we're going to talk about him being the Doctor of Unity, we should probably talk about who he was and, and, and what he did. First, we set the stage. Exactly. Yes, because I know there are multiple St. Ir- Irenaeuses, so which one is it? <laughs> this is the most famous one, known either as, sometimes as Irenaeus of Smyrna, because he's from there, but known mostly as Irenaeus of Lyon, because that's where he ended up. Mm. And because it's, you know, easier to say. We. Oui. It's fun to say, Lyon. It's just all vowels. No, no, I like Smyrna. <laughs> so, Irenaeus was a third generation Christian. Okay. okay. He was a disciple of Polycarp, okay. who was a disciple of John the Apostle, who was, of course, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Yes. All right. He was born in approximately the year 130 in the aforementioned awesomely named city of Smyrna, today known as Izmir, Turkey. And he died about approximately 70 years later in the city of Lugdunum, Gaul, today known as Lyon, France. I personally, no offense, so, so no we can offense call him to a French. By the name of the city he was born in at the time, mm-hmm. or the name we currently call the city he died in. Well, I think this is the point <laughs> Nate was about to make. I was going to say, with, with all due, uh, with all due uh, consideration for our French viewers, um, personally, I like the the city name Lugdunum. Irenaeus of Lugdunum. <laughs> now, there are several things that make him a good candidate to be the Doctor of Unity. Okay. He traveled far and wide because, you know, back then, going from oh. Asia Minor to, to mm-hmm. mainland Europe. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, he, yeah. So, from the from the earliest days of the church, even though for the first millennium there was the unity for which we all hope to be restored as soon as possible, there was always a divide between Eastern and Western Christianity in that Greek was the common language of the East and Latin was the common language of the West. So, even from those earliest days, you, just, you had that divide. He was born in the Greek-speaking East, but then he ministered and eventually gave his life as a martyr in the Latin-speaking West. All right. So the unity between the two. All right. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another is that during his lifetime, he worked actively to maintain the unity of the church. There was, at the time, a huge kerfuffle. Okay. And it's, it's another one of those situations where there's a lot of times in history where something seems like a huge deal and people are going to come to blows over it. Somebody might even get their head cut off. Mm-hmm. And later to us, it's like, oh, yeah, no, no, we just got over that. Yeah. So we, 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 we addressed it. We moved on. We're all good now. Everything's fine. So there was in the second century the Quarto Decimin controversy. Mm, they had four decimal points? <laughs> yes, they had all the decimal points. <laughs> I, I don't think that's all of them. <laughs> they had oh. 40... Men? <laughs> so, apparently this refers to the 14th, because the controversy was, what is the proper date on which to celebrate Easter? Mm. On a Sunday, because the Lord was resurrected on a Sunday, or on the Jewish Passover, because that's when he was put to death. Now, the majority view was to celebrate Easter on a Sunday. And then there's the, we've talked about it before, the very complicated calendar for how you figure out which Sunday. 
Yes. Mm. But there were also a large number of folks, especially in the East, who were saying that, no, you know, the Lord died on the Passover, the 14th of Nisan. We so, have the date. It's not like Christmas. It's written like, down. No yeah. one wrote this down because we didn't care back then. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because birthdays weren't a huge thing then. So they just said, you know, regardless of whatever day of the week it is, because it's a, you know, the, our Jewish brothers and sisters use a lunar calendar, so it moves around a lot. Well, come on. Even in our calendar, the, the date of a certain you know, date in the calendar is going to oh, absolutely. change all seven absolutely. days. <clears throat> absolutely. That's why we fix it on the Sunday. <laughs> now, Pope St. Victor I, he had had it up to here. He had had enough. He, he was going to lay the hammer down. He, yeah. he, was re- he was ready to start excommunicating and taking some heads. Precisely. But Irenaeus said, listen, Holy Father, you are right, but you will win more with vine- with honey than with vinegar. Let's not excommunicate everybody. Let calmer heads prevail. And wouldn't you know it, all these centuries later, we all celebrate Easter, East and West, on a Sunday. Yeah, it's not even a thing now. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a slight thing because the Eastern Church tends to calculate it still more based off when Passover is than in the West that's based off the lunar because, you know, it's a lunar calendar and a lot of calculations mm-hmm. and charts oh, and graphs. We, we still come up with different dates, except for every now and again when they coincide, and those are great instances. But there is no argument that Easter is always celebrated on a Sunday. Whereas, because it's the day, because it's because it's the Lord's day. Whereas, Fourteenth Nissan can fall on any day of the week. I, I it like, could fall on Thor's day. It definitely could fall on Thor's or Odin's day. Yeah, I like the idea Odin's that day. if the East and West join, mm-hmm. we, we when when the East and West join. Well, you know, if it happens before the end of the world, we all type thing. <laughs> that's fair. We yeah. should we, we should do our Easter because no one knows when Easter is. You just look on the calendar, and that's when Easter, and do their Christmas, and see what move the Protestants make. <laughs> Or we could go with our Christmas, because that date is known, and then just go with their Easter. And again, see what the Protestants do. So, going all the way back, Irenaeus is a great link between the East and the West. Mm-hmm. But he's not just known for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, he was made a doctor of the church, and it surprised many people that he wasn't already a doctor of the church, because he's known for writing some relatively famous books. I, I do remember him writing stuff that's at the level of, well, if you wrote this two generations earlier, this might be the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> And he's, ext- he's the single best source we still have for the vast multi-headed hydra of Gnosticism. Because, you know, praise be to God. Those guys. Most Gnostic documents oh. haven't survived, so what most of what we know about the Gnostics comes from Irenaeus himself. Well, of course they didn't survive. They're secret. <laughs> exactly. So, Irenaeus' most famous work is the Adversus Heresis Against Heresies, which is a sprawling work because the thing about Gnosticism is it's never the same twice. It's always the same, but it's never the same. There are some main points, but, yeah, you know, but wildly varying from that. Yeah, and <laughs> this is one of Irenaeus' main arguments against Gnosticism. While in Against Heresies, he goes through in detail and knocks down this teacher and this teacher and this teacher and this teacher and this teacher, and this teacher the central thrust is often, well, there's this teacher teacher says this, and this teacher says this, and this teacher says this, and this teacher says this. Every form of Gnosticism is subtly different. So, just logically, which seems more likely? That this guy over here is going to be the only one who has the truth, and you know, he may have fabricated the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas to defend it, or the Catholics over here, who have the unbroken apostolic tradition, again, in his time, that only goes back three generations. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying majority rules, but however, you know, he has a, a very detailed chain of, of, you know, this person told me this, they mm-hmm. got it from here, oh, no. versus the, I have discovered a secret gospel no one's heard of before. Well, again, and amazingly, it fits with what I think. The Lord <laughs> well, God <laughs> spoke to me. 
But it's not majority rules. It is that unbroken lineage. This is what I got from Polycarp. This is what Polycarp got from John. This is what John got from Jesus. As opposed to, I'm some guy who's saying, I alone know what Jesus said, even though I was born more than a century after his death. The Lord spoke to me, and he told me that everything I believe to be true is. No, the Lord spoke to me and told me that everything I... See, it... it it gets messy. It gets messy. It gets very Especially messy. with the different groups of the Gnostics, because mm-hmm. some of them are like, let's all kill each- ourselves because the body's evil. And some of them are like, let's live the most, you know, outrageously hedonistic life because the body doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the, the Gnostics do everything in secret. You have to be initiated. Whereas the Christians, the revelation has always been for everyone. So, uh, Irenaeus is an important early source for the four Gospels. Not that, you know, he's a source for any of the Gospels, but that we should have all four. Because the canon of the scriptures wasn't set in the second century. And there were some crazy people out there who were like, no, 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 no. We only need one. And the only one we need is this one. Well, especially there was the very prominent, very well-financed heresy of Marcionism. Where Marcion had said, you know, again, following the Gnostics, that Old Testament Jewish stuff, bad. New Testament, good. But only if we de-Judaize it. Yeah, so yeah. he had Luke. As the gotta, only gotta, gotta get rid of all those Jews out of it. Yeah. Oh, terrible. So Irenaeus <laughs> is making the argument, since confirmed by the Holy Spirit in ecumenical councils, that we need not just one, not two, not even three, but all four Gospels. And St. Paul spends a lot of time in his letters talking about Jesus as the new Adam. He does like symbolisms. Yeah. Irenaeus, well, but it's not just symbolism. But Irenaeus it, it, is the first it's one. It's not, but you know, he, yeah. Irenaeus he was, is the first one. He was a one. Pharisee. He's like, oh yes, I remember studying all this stuff from the Old Testament. What's the Old Testament? I'll get to it. I'm writing the new. <laughs> when I tell you can't that you all the... See, can't you see I'm busy here, kid? <laughs> when I tell you that all the scriptures are inspired and useful for teaching, I'm not talking about what I just wrote. I'm talking about the scriptures. <laughs> but Irenaeus is the first one to identify our Blessed Mother as the new Eve. And he talked about how Mary... And her obedience undid the knot of Eve's disobedience. And this is the origin of the devotion to Mary, undoer of knots. And not because Jesus got his sandals knotted up, which you would think if anyone had a toddler, that would be the reason. <laughs> now, there, there is one final area where Irenaeus stands as a great example for us for the urgency and necessity of Christian unity. Okay. He was the bishop, the second bishop of Lyon, France. Mm-hmm. And he was martyred in the reign of the Roman emperor Septimus Septimius Severus. And then for almost 1,400 years, his tomb was in the cathedral in Lyon, France. In the year 1562, amidst the French wars of religion, the Huguenots, who were French Calvinists, adherents to the dictatorial... (sighs) That guy. They destroyed the tomb of St. Irenaeus and also his earthly remains. But... This is a great opportunity for all of us to practice forgiveness in our hearts and to pray for the Reformed Christians, who are the descendants of the Calvinists, to one day, as Nate did, come into full communion with the church. St. Irenaeus, pray for us. Thank you for listening to the Popish Podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review us, as that will help more people to find the podcast, and to join in on the fun. You can contact oh, us at yes. thepopishplot at gmail.com. Find us on the Twitters at thepopishplot. Or you can search for Popish Plot on Facebook. Please rate, review, and we really do enjoy hearing from you. So get in touch. And until next time, as always, remember to live your faith. Love your faith. And share, share that love. love.